1: Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 80, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at NFL that's K-I-S-T, as always joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben. New intro music. I tried to make it as squirrely as possible. How you doing, brother?
2: Oh man, I thought it was the Bob. I loved it. I thought I felt like Sherlock Holmes. That's what I said when I listened to it for the first time. I thought it was like an intro to a BBC show, and it was like dramatically overlooking overcast London, and there was like you know cool cinematography things I don't really understand, and I was ready to go and and learn about all the all the the secrets held within. I feel very It's bad because it sounds professional. That's the problem. Because then people are going to listen to the podcast and be like, oh, wait, that's not what this is.
1: Yeah. False impression. Very professionally
2: produced, not very professionally said out loud by me. I'm a true professional.
1: I don't know why you're... Yeah, I was like,
2: you know what you're doing. I do not.
1: Ben, so this is going to be a continuation of the previous podcast, Kiss and Solak 79, where we talked overrated, underrated prospects for the NFL draft.
2: The Todd Harriman slash Brandon Brooks podcast, whichever one suits your fancy. Right.
1: Which one is this?
2: Jordan Matthews. I couldn't find one with 80. So I'm not going to say I use a list because I don't, obviously. But if I were to use a list, (laughs) there might be a problem on the list where it's divided by 20s. And the 61 to 80 list stops suddenly at 79, and the 81 to 100 list starts back up at 81. So there was no 80 on the list if I used a list, which I don't.
1: It's a good thing you knew that off the top of your head.
2: All right, I kind of had to freelance in that situation. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, Ben, before we get to part two of our overrated, underrated draft prospects breakdown, let's take a quick look here at the NFL calendar and some dates of which we need to be aware. February 19th, so Tuesday of this week, was the first day in which teams could franchise or transition tag players. The deadline Uh to apply those tags is March 5th, 4 p.m. Now, this is obviously important for the Eagles, and I'm going to dial back to that in a second. Now, the next big days, and they're approaching fast the NFL combine that runs from the February 26th to March 4th. Now this is before the legal tampering period, which starts on March 11th, where teams can speak to agents about soon to become free agents with expiring contracts. But we know that discussion happens anyway, because you've got everybody in the same spot for a week. And that's just kind of what occurs. So again, the legal tampering period starts March 11th, which kicks off negotiations for free agents, that hits a crescendo on March 13th, 4 p.m., which is the official start of the new league year, and all of these contracts and signings start becoming official in a massive wave in a big news dump. So that's a biggie day. But let's get back to the tag discussion, which is the window we are currently in for the next two weeks. Ben, according to Jason LaCanfora, who I think is an impossibly attention-starved hack, has reported that smart people are around the league believe that nick Foles will be tagged but he said that he did not believe that to be the case adam schefter reported that the eagles are expected to tag Foles back when Foles opted out of his contract when the eagles picked up the option and then pro football talk reported that the eagles may get themselves into some hot water if they tagged Foles just to trade him because the tag would not be applied in quote-unquote good faith there is an update on right. that last part adam schefter was on 97.5 the fanatic this morning And here's what he said about it, quote, I can tell you this, I can't speak at length, but I was told flat out that's false, false. If they want to use the tag with the sole intention of trading him, being Foles, they can, that won't prohibit that move. So Ben, this whole discussion could become dated just as quick as our mock draft where we selected Jeffrey Simmons in the first round, but we can make it quick because we've spoken about our expectations going into this several times. I don't expect the Eagles to tag Foles, but... That most recent clarification and statement by Schefter is worth mentioning because if he's correct and the Eagles were to tag Foles, I'm of the opinion that it's because there's an immediate trade in place. Those are the only two feasible options that I see likely. The idea that the Eagles would tag Foles and then retain him on the roster is beyond ridiculous for a list of reasons I can't fit into a 45-minute episode, so I'm not even going to entertain that nonsense, Ben. What say you?
2: Good faith, bad faith. So It was 2008, 2009, I believe it was, when um, the the Patriots franchise Matt Castle traded him away. And the reality was that if Castle did not want to go to where he would have been traded, which the only reason the, the Patriots would have offered him a tag is if they had the trade in place. Castle would just never have signed the tag. And then thereby, there would have been no bad faith discussion. Right. It's not like the Eagles are going to be like, oh, Foles, sign the tag. We're going to keep you next year, buddy. And no could be like, oh, okay. And then they'll sign the tag and they'll be like, ha, fooled you. We're trading you. <laughs> no, like like the only way they sign the tag is if Foles and his agent are cool with the, with the trade. Uh, because otherwise, Foles is just going to say, I'm not going to sign it. And now you're going to have a discussion of good faith, bad faith. So it's not, I also agree, there's no way a trade happens in bad faith. There's either a trade in good faith or a holdout on the franchise tag. Crucial note. Crucial note. The window to uh, sign the, tra- the tag starts now and ends March fifth. I believe is what you said. March fifth is when the tag, the window tag ends. Remember, Philadelphia can't trade Foles until the new league year opens, right? And so, if Philadelphia wants to tag Foles, they have to have a deal in place by March fifth. Tag Foles. Hold him on the tag for eleven or er, for eight days. Make sure they will be under the cap with his twenty five million figure when the league year opens trade him right when the league year opens, because I'm ninety, I'm seventy 78% sure, even if they, they're trading him the moment the league year opens, they still have to be under the cap when they trade him. They can't come in over the cap, trade him, and that gets them under the cap in the league year. I'm pretty sure it can't be simultaneous.
1: And I can confirm, I'm just reading this from yeah. operations.nfl.com, all clubs must be under the 2019 salary cap Prior to 4 p.m. New York time, March 13th, which is when the league year opens, correct?
2: When the year opens, exactly. So it can be bang-bang, but they, really, they, they they would have to make cuts. And they, they, they do have room to make right. cuts, you know what I mean? Like you, Pretty much, if you cut Timmy Jernigan, one other smaller contract, you probably have space. That's a tricky so situation, though.
1: And, and then have the faith right. that that deal is not going to fall apart in the meantime.
2: Which is why... Way back when we were talking about this, and we're still talking about this, but way back when we first <laughs> talked about this, and, and it's written on Bleeding Green Nation, the tag and trade is significantly less likely than picking up the option and trade, which did not happen, which indicates that there will be no tag and trade, which means foals will hit free agency. Because in a sign option and trade, Philadelphia has some leverage. They can say, all right, we'll send you foals. It'll be for $22 million, not 25. so it's a little less than it would be on the tag, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They can sign Foles to that option and then they could have cut him if a deal fell through with no penalty really. Right. Whereas right. the franchise tag is fully guaranteed. They and they even if they were to like cut Foles, they still have to pay him the 25 million, regardless of whether or not he's on the roster, regardless of whether or not he plays, regardless of whether or not he gets injured. And so they have no leverage. A team can be like, listen, we you know, we we we're, we're doing this deal March fifth. They can tag Foles, and then the team could could back out. It would be scummy, but they could. And Philadelphia is, is stuck there with their pants around their ankles, owing Nick Foles twenty five million, no matter what happens. You know, they'd probably find a really cheap way to shop him. That would just be what you'd have to do. Like you would take pretty much any pick to get twenty five million dollars off your books. But they would really that. You know, like that's why a tag and trade is super dangerous. Yeah. Remember, it has to the franchise tag has to be applied by March fifth, so they can't wait until March fourteenth to tag coming under the cap trade and then do free agency all in like three minutes like that it has to be done before march 5th so a tag and trade is very unlikely he's gonna walk in free agency at The end.
1: what i'm also seeing as we talk about this offseason before we get into the main topic of the show is i think it's matt Verderame is reporting that the redskins are highly unlikely to tag preston smith per source is that
2: the uh, is that the is that the fan-sided fellow correct
1: yes Uh, He says Smith 26 is going to have a significant market when free agency opens. We'll see if that's true, but that is maybe a guy that the Eagles would be pursuing. We talked about the Tony Pauline report saying that the Eagles would be active in free agency, trying to make a splash at the edge position. He's a guy that we talked about on the last show as well. So go back and listen to Kisten Solak, show number 79 if you want to hear more about him as a possible target for the Eagles as we move through this process that is the off season and part of that process in the off season is figuring out who we like and who we don't like from this 2019 NFL draft class last show as we said this is part 2 of a series overrated underrated draft prospects ben i'll kick it off with one guy that i don't know is necessarily overrated but i think testing is going to be very important for him and i see people that are a lot higher on him then I am, I think one of them may be you. So I just wanted to kind of open a discourse with you. I don't have a final grade on this guy, but I don't see him grading out very well for me. And that is Hakeem Butler, the wide receiver out of Iowa mm-hmm. State.
2: I'm watching, I'm finishing my Hakeem Butler eval today. So ask me this question again in like
1: eight hours. Beautiful. So what I have concerns with, and then we'll get to your guy, is the fact that I have serious doubts, and I actually think he's, after the catch, he's he's better than I would expect from a guy who I watched throughout the route stem. I have concerns mm-hmm. about his hips, about his ability to change direction, about his ability to make hard angle cuts like curls and comebacks, and even some of the in-breaking, out-breaking For routes. Sure. The ability to create separation with his nuance in his routes, I don't think is there. I just think he just muscles people and it's obvious like there's one thing to like push off like alshon jeffrey does like a lot or like deandre hopkins Hakeem Butler creates his separation with a next level push off. It's like the New England Patriots, Seattle Seahawks style for defensive backs where they hold every play knowing that the referees aren't going to call it all the time. He does that with push offs at the catch point. And it really concerns me because I don't see him creating separation any other way. So we'll dial back on him when we get to him, especially after his combine testing, which is going to be important for him. But I have serious doubts about Hakeem Butler, the wide receiver out of Iowa State. I believe he's overrated. We'll see. I still got to finish his tape. Ben's going to. Finishes tape. Ben, give me an overrated guy in this draft class.
2: To the Hakeem Butler point. I don't think he's overrated. Uh, I do have him quite ranked highly. I liked him. Number one, when it comes to looseness in the hips and change of direction, absolutely. Like when you have a 6'6 six, six guy, he's just, you know, like, like the, the benchmark for his wiggle is going to be lower <laughs> yeah. than other dudes. And you know, why is that? Like it's an important scouting note. Like when you watch a 6'6 six, six guy, like, oh, he doesn't change direction as well. Well, he has so much more mass in terms of his like thigh, his calves, like just his leg to get through a larger radius of rotation, right? Because he's got a longer stride when he's changing direction. So just like think about, good example, whenever we talk about like torque and the example of it, like it's like, you know, try to push open a door at the door handle as far away from the hinge as you can like this is not a good example for what I'm trying to talk about. Actually,
1: I mean just I mean just like a one for one comparison. You look at like a build like a Darren Sproles and how shifty he is because of the short legs and the right. step frequency that he has. That short stride compared to maybe like a bigger guy like Garrett Blunt, who is more of a straight line guy. I mean, you see like six, three corners all the time that struggle because they're high hip to turn because they have such right. that that length in their in the bottom half plus the mass too. Derrick Henry not the greatest zone runner because he's got to shift down, he's got to downshift all of that weight and then get it going again. Ben is really working through the analogy that he wants to make here with Hakeem Butler as I try to fill air time, even though I don't have to because I'm just going to edit this podcast anyway.
2: All right, I bad to say all of this is going to be edited <laughs> out. I can't think of a good analogy anyway. So because he's going to be a long strider, he's not going to have great change of direction. But for what we see in him, and I think especially like I watched a lot of his 2017 tape when they had Alan Lazard there and Lazard was running their vertical third routes, Mm. comeback curl deep ball, Uh, Hakeem Butler played in the slot. He played as a 6'6", 2'15", slot, and there he got a lot more optionality in his route breaks, and I think you saw better separation quickness there, whereas what he was asked to do in 2018, be their vertical third wide receiver, there wasn't nearly as much of that ask in terms of his ability to break off routes. He gets lazy with his feet and his, and his, his breaks at times, but also, he's not a player who is NFL role I anticipate being like, hey, like make sure you separate on this multiple break route. I anticipate being like, hey go be taller than other people, you know? Yeah, yeah my, my number one concern with him is just going to be release off the press because against a lot of the Big 12 defenses that he faced, he simply is not seeing a ton of physical coverage within the contact window. And I hear the push-off thing, Um, but, but when it comes to... Like uh, adjusting to the when it comes to like addressing the football downfield, I want my six six guy to to push off and to dial that back instead of in my opinion a guy like Nikhil Harry <laughs> who's 6'4", 220, and I want to teach him how to be a little bit more of a man down the field yeah. right which sounds weird to say about Nikhil Harry but I don't like his film.
1: Great point, I, I'm with you there.
2: Yeah, so I, I I think there's a lot a lot to like about Akeem Butler and 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 to the point that you illustrated about his strength, you get the the ball in that guy's hands it's really something that he can do in terms of his physicality and his long speed so he's a lot of fun and i think he's gonna he's gonna jump really well i think he's gonna have a decent 10 yard uh split on his 40 which means good explosiveness and i think that vertical profile is gonna be what what helps him get get drafted but like he's a day two guy but it's gonna help him get uh you know up in the top names so yeah i guess overrated i can talk about Nikhil harry then uh in terms of wide receivers okay. here's the thing about Nikhil harry he doesn't try very hard a lot and that's probably <laughs> yeah. Because it's one thing to sun the, you know, corners out of Utah by being bigger and stronger than them. But it's another thing to go up against Oregon, go up against Arizona, not a good defensive team, Arizona, decent, but not great corners in Oregon Mm. and get regularly physically bodied within the contact window and down the red line on your vertical stems when you have no business doing that. There's no reason for that. He does not recruit his hands through the contact window. When we talk about the contact window, the you know the the five yards where a contact is allowed from the corner, the corner the corner can generate contact in the NFL. In the contact window, Nikhil Harry fails to recruit his hands. He doesn't have good uh, route running ability. He he regularly gets to the breakpoint, gives a little dance, gives a little jab steps, a little little shake, and then breaks to the outside without using any any manipulation of leverage. He doesn't attack half man. He doesn't force a corner to turn. Yeah. He just squares them up and then tries to get outside of them again. Doesn't recruit his hands to generate separation. It doesn't adjust his routes well to coverage either like people regularly ran trap coverages underneath him and he didn't know how to adjust move for back shoulders generate full upward push to create a throwing window and he might know all this and i think there's flashes of him knowing it but the reality is like if you just look at his film in a vacuum not knowing what his highlight reel film looks like you see a player who frequently makes plays more difficult for himself and for his quarterback through a lack of effort and a lack of nuance when the ball's in his hands, he's a stupid athlete. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, no, his, and and, like, he's not super laterally explosive, but to be as quick in a straight line as bursty at like six four two twenty is really stupid. You know what I mean? Like that's just dumb.
1: That's when you see the physical side of him like come out.
2: Yeah. And we talk about like, you know, he wins contested catches really, really well. And I said, I, I have some complaints with physicality down the field because i think he could do a much better job winning those reps earlier yeah. like okay the ball is coming Nikhil knows that he he can outleap almost anybody he knows he has great strong hands through contact he's got really good concentration through contact so he doesn't endeavor to get his body into a good position and thereby he gets pushed out of good position by the corner who's actually boxing out and it makes the catch much more difficult which surely he can make them but don't make catches more difficult for yourself. Make them easier for yourself and you'll get more of them. Right. And you also want more targets. You know what I mean? Like in Arizona State, where he got fed the football in a few games, but there were other games where he really just didn't get targeted because he was laboring on the outside, wasn't really separating and other receivers were doing more work. And that's when Harry started getting moved into the slot because in the slot you get off coverage and you get smaller corners. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he was much more productive. <laughs> and we ignore that. Like, like there's, right. you know, there's a big, uh, demographic of analysts online who who love to do uh, statistical analysis for draft prospects, especially for wide receivers, and a lot of that is very solid. Nikhil Harry grades out very nicely. Well, we ask ourselves why we go to the tape. It's because they moved him from the X to the Zebra. They moved him from the X to the H. Yeah, and, 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 and he's being cast as a prototypical X receiver at the next level. They wasn't producing there. Right. They had to move him. You know <laughs> what I mean? So he, I'm low on his film. His testing is going to give him a higher grade, which I'm fine with. That's the way it's supposed to work. But he worries me, uh, and, I, and I think in a, in a class full of big receivers who who illustrate good route running and the ability to release from press, Kelvin Harmon, yeah. DK Metcalf, JJ Arcega-Whiteside, Riley Ridley. Well, I, I I don't see any reason to gamble on Nikhil Harry. Maybe in a class where he was the biggest, strongest, but I don't really think he is. I think it's very easy for me to say that DK Harmon yeah. and Arcega-Whiteside are all more physical and stronger play strength-wise, for their size. So I, I, I don't need to gamble on Nikhil.
1: I watched the stack pretty much very closely to each other in, in a few set of days recently, and it was it was DK, it was Kelvin, it was Nikhil, and it was uh, Hakeem Butler. Harmon loved him. That's going to be my wide mm-hmm. receiver, too, just based off film grade, and I think he's got enough separation to stay there. However, at, from those tall tree... Wide receivers, deep Debo Samuel, and all them come in. Riley Ridley, as we go through that process. But if we're talking like the bigger outside guys, I really, really like what uh, what Harmon had to offer.
2: Harmon's the man. Yeah, he's a beast. His film is just, it's just, it's just. It's exactly what you want out of a receiver who understands what he's good at, what he's bad at, and what his strengths are, his weaknesses are, and just plays to them perfectly. He's so developed. He's so mature.
1: 100%. A guy that's not developed, but a guy that I really like, and we'll get to an underrated guy here, and we'll start to look at some uh, some Eagles guys that I have on the list here to keep it Eagles-centric here. Kalen Sanders, interior defensive lineman out of Western Illinois. I had a blast watching this guy's film. And what was interesting was, and I know your friend over the Draft Network, Joe Marino, was watching the same thing that I saw. I, I found the article after I was watching his tape, but I put on the game against uh North Dakota State, and it's third and ten. And I'm and I'm watching this and I'm like, Where where did Kalen go? Kalen's this big dude. What is he like 320? Like it's something like that. He's a yeah, he's a square fella. He's built like a refrigerator. And on third and That's ten, it. I see that they have him standing up on the edge to rush the passer as an edge rusher. I'm like, what the heck is, and I I laughed to myself, and then he just beats this dude with a quick step outside, swims inside, gets the quarterback, gets the sack, and then I'm watching him bury dude after dude on this North Dakota State line that is a very good line. His tape, there are flaws there. He is raw. He beats a lot of guys because the lower level of competition, and he's just that much better, quicker, bigger than them. But that's a guy that I look at his at his flexibility throughout his body. He's the backflip guy from the senior bowl for the listeners that don't that don't know. Like this guy has serious flexibility all throughout his body. And if you're looking for a guy on the interior that you don't have to spend a first round pick for that can give you some pass rush juice, at least eventually. Saunders is definitely one of those guys that I'm targeting in those later rounds.
2: Like, I don't want to go for Jerry Tillery because, I'll put it to you this way, I think the people who have Tillery ranked highly have him ranked too highly, mm. but also okay. not enough people have him ranked highly enough. I agree. So I'm in the middle with him.
1: What round grade do you have on him?
2: Tillery, Tillery's going to be a two, and that's where he should be.
1: He's going to be a mid to late two for me. Am I too high or too low?
2: That's right about where he should be. Okay. He's a two. Like, Tillery, you you wrap together the good stuff, and you put together the 20, 25 really good reps he's had this season. Yeah, first round.
1: <laughs> there's,
2: there's more than that. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and he trades a lot on a really good game against Stanford. Yeah, against a much ballyhooed Stanford line that actually was really really bad this year. And that's the thing right. is that like that he eviscerated Stanford in that game, but that Stanford line struggled against every defensive line they faced. Yeah, so like that's like you know that's an important context. So I'll probably go for Isaiah Bugs out of Alabama. Mm. And here's the thing about Isaiah Bugs. Not dissimilarly to Deshaun Hand last year who went in the third round, which we all thought was too early to the Lions and that was successful with the Lions. Isaiah Bugs is this player who's like a great athlete and you have no idea where to put him on the defensive line because Alabama was like, oh, you're 280 pounds, play nine tech. Like what? Why? Like, you know, it's just like classic Alabama defensive line, just throwing dudes like just like they, they you know, they'd have lines where it's like, all right, Quentin Williams is playing the nose at 310 pounds. Raekwon Davis is playing 5-tech, 290 pounds. And Isaiah Bugs is going to play 7-tech at 275. And we might blitz like Christian Miller, you know, at like 240 off the other side. It's so, like this is the unbelievable, like the largest line in the history of college football. Like, how are you even doing this? Because they can all pass rush insane for their size. This is crazy. So Isaiah Bugs, I mean, he has no neck. So he's just, he's so squat. He's so thick. He's such a well-built dude who's very difficult to handle on the interior I think like you get him in like four eye technique situations you get him in three technique situations he's very difficult to double team and move down the field he's strong against the run really nice posterior change like really powerful dude who clearly has great technique knows how to keep his pads low some nice pass rush flashes but like Deshaun Hand he was rushing outside track at 275 pounds, right. like he's rushing outside the offensive tackle. He has no business doing that. Like he doesn't have the physical traits. like He doesn't have the first step quickness that's going to make it. And so, you know, you, you have to project what you see to the inside. And he played on the inside of the senior bowl for a little bit with a mixed bag of results, but when he can land his hands and rush with power, and that's where he's going to start, like that's where he's going to build his pass rush from, land hands, power, and, and displace back, push the, the the front of the pocket, you know, collapse the pocket, get into the quarterback's lap. When he can start from there, he can build a pass rush with, with hand moves and with secondary counters. It's just not developed yet because he didn't do that at Alabama because they didn't need him to. So they just had him, you know, play strong side end and just gobble up strong side zone runs. Because, of course, why not? He's 275 pounds playing (laughs) nine tech. So I like Isaiah Bugs for what he is, but he's hard to diagnose because of the way that he played, and you kind of need to give him tweener role, sort of Michael Benedy level stuff. But he's a fun player, and you can tell that he's got great physical traits.
1: Speaking of roles and possibly where this guy might go, where do you think Rashawn Gary, interior defensive lineman, or defensive lineman from Michigan goes? Top 10? Yeah.
2: Here's the thing. Rashawn Gary is going to be 280 pounds. And he's going to run like a 4-7 something. And people are going to lose their bananas. Yeah. All right. People are just going to go straight a wall. I mean, it's just, it's <laughs> going to be chaos. Yeah. Meanwhile, actually important things will be happening that do not revolve around a defensive tackle running a 40-yard dash. But that alone, plus five-star ranking, mm. number one overall prospect three years ago, is, is all it will take for us to talk about Rashawn Gary for the next six, seven weeks. And he'll get drafted highly because he's he's a fantastic athlete, and coaches love to think that they can make players into more than they were at college, even though there's no reason for that. Just draft the good ones. Stop making things more difficult for yourself.
1: I did his summer evaluation last year, and I had a mid-second round preliminary grade on him based on his 2017 tape and his traits and everything like that. I go back to the film this year. I don't see much of a change. I don't see the production. I don't see any more refinement in the hands. I'm concerned about his role. I don't want to rush him off the edge like Michigan did a lot. I think there are some issues with some lower body flexibility that I don't necessarily love. I have serious concerns about this dude. Some of it has to do with his motor, too. I think he's going to get overdrafted to heck, and I'm okay with that. If you want to let some other defensive linemen slide down the board down to us, I'm good with it. I just think Rashawn Gary is the absolute definition of a boom or bust defensive lineman, and for that reason, I am going to call him overrated.
2: Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, Gary's been overrated since the moment we finished the 2018 NFL draft.
1: You got an overrated guy for me?
2: Yeah, what position you want?
1: You want to do, let's, let's do another Eagles one, so let's go either pass rusher, or let's go offensive tackle. Let's get after the quarterback or protect him.
2: Here's the problem, I like all the offensive tackles, every single one of them, I think they're all great. Even so, even
1: Greg Little because you kind of you kind of bucked me on that uh, the other day.
2: Well, Little Little and Dillard are overrated, but they've been overrated forever. Right? right? It's like that's that's not that's as interesting thing. to talk about as far as what it is right now. <laughs> oh, here's a good one. Yeah. And this is very Eagle specific. They're 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 not going to like Montez Sweat at 25. Right. I really don't think they will. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'll I'll put it this way. Probably like four days ago, I wouldn't have said Montez Sweat is overrated, but when he got put at five at a mock draft, well, now I got to talk about it.
1: That was Kuiper, by the way, that did that. I lost my marbles when I saw that. Montez yeah. Sweat at five.
2: There are six edge rushers who deserve to go round one. If you're calling Rayshon Gary an edge or an interior defensive lineman, excuse me. That's Nick Bosa, Ohio State; Brian Burns, Florida State; Ja'Kai Polite, Florida; Josh Allen, Kentucky; Cleveland Furrell, Clemson, and then Montez Sweat, Mississippi State, also worthy of I think round one, probably at the end. That's also the order in which I have them, in case you're wondering. Mm. Now, there's a seventh edge who will probably go round one: uh, Jalen Ferguson out of Louisiana Tech. He is very productive.
1: He's he's on my overrated.
2: And he's not very good. And you should be very wary of him. And the Eagles will draft him, I don't think. Burns, polite, are both undersized speed rusher types. Explosive first steps. Really fantastic bend. Guys who, who uh, and Burns has some really nicely developed hand counters to work back to the inside. Polite also has the ability to shock and work back to the inside with quickness. He doesn't really recruit his hands as much, but really that's okay. Like, I'll, I'll still sleep at night. Josh Allen is a, is a prototypical build guy in terms of burst-bend length. Like, that you just talked about first step to burst, bend to get around, you know, uh, to the third step to win, win a half-man relationship, and then length to keep the tackle off of you and to finish the rep. He's got the great versatility as far as, like, a stand-up, a hand-in-the-dirt guy. Also undersized. Potentially, he's going to be, like, around, like, 255, which is, like, Brandon Graham size. So, like, it's fine for the Eagles. Yeah. They're totally okay with that. So he'll be, be like, you know, all right. Bosa is technique. He's build-a-bear. He is every skill that you want to have. Fantastic bend, great burst, good length. First step is not the strongest in the class. Everything else is yeah. in terms of how he rushes. Cleveland Furrell is an average-to-above-average athlete who wins with length, hand counters, and recognition, lacks the ideal quickness and bend that you have in the other four players to generate half-man relationships and to regularly win with physical traits. He's well-developed, but he's not going to have the same physical advantage you did in college, and so you anticipate his production dropping a little bit.
1: Love his hands, though. I freaking love the polish in his hands. Go ahead.
2: Montez Sweat is like Cleveland Furl, If you ramped up the length... You know, if you, if you ramped up the, the length slider, you ramped up the power slider probably a little bit. But then you, you, there's going to be a decrease in bend and there's going to be a significant decrease in polish as well. Yeah. Montez Sweat is still learning how to maximize his frame. I mean, he had a, a record-breaking wingspan, right? So this dude's insanely long. <laughs> this dude's built like Gumby. But he's still learning how to maximize that, how to play at the length of his hands, how to generate power throughout his frame. And he also will be an undersized weight guy. He's going to be around 245, 250 for the Combine. If we look at what Philadelphia has drafted in recent years at their defensive end position and even what they've been successful with at the defensive end position, we're talking about Brandon Graham, a guy who probably plays around 260. We're talking about Derek Barnett, a guy who probably plays around 260. We're talking about drafting Josh Sweat, a guy who came in at about 250. And then you have Chris Long and Michael Bennett who are around 270. All right. Long and Bennett have been your free agent additions. They've been the guys that you've brought in. They've been productive in the league and you stick them in and they give you good reps. When we look at Barnett, Sweat, and Graham, they really prefer guys who are a bit lower to the ground, they don't worry about the size, they win with first-step explosiveness, and they can attack the outside rush track. And that simply just isn't Montez Sweat. Right? When, we, when we ran through the six, that's Brian Burns, Josh Allen, Ja'Kai Polite, in terms of the three names of the early edges that I think make sense for Philadelphia. I'm positive Josh Allen won't make it. I would be flabbergasted if Brian Burns made it. Jukai Polite is maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe getting into the twenties. And honestly, if, if Polite starts sticking into the teens, Yo. the late teens,
1: I'm Yo. calling folks. Oh, yeah. I'm
2: calling folks.
1: But you know, we often don't talk about the the possibility of the Eagles trading up if there's an edge rusher like that that drops into that area. Right. The Eagles have two second round picks. Go get your guy.
2: Yeah, and when you and when you. Look at the draft and how you expect it to roll out. I'm like, we don't know. Like, Polite might come out, run a six seven three cone, and then we're not even talking about this, right? Right. <laughs> but if Polite comes out, like, when you're, like, approaching the draft and, and you think, all right, Polite, like, you know, I think he's going to go to Green Bay at 12. Like, that makes a ton of sense for Green Bay likes what well, Green Bay yeah. needs. Okay. Yep. Green Bay doesn't take him. I start getting on the phone. I'm looking, you know, I'm going 18 Minnesota Vikings. I'm looking at, you know, 17 Cleveland Browns. Whatever it is, whoever it is, I got to call and say, like, listen, like, you know. What would it take for me to get to your spot? And it doesn't right. take that
1: much to move five, six, seven spots. It really doesn't.
2: Right, exactly. And so, you know, and you saw the Saints give up a future first <laughs> to go get an edge rusher last year, Crazy. which we won't even talk about. But it's the reality of like that's that's that is a, a high value position, that is a high value play if you have a first round grade on a guy. So they, uh, Polite, Burns, and Allen. If you want to watch players who fit their type, it's going to be those guys. Now, that doesn't preclude them from drafting Cleveland for a Sweat. It just does not look like what they've done. Of course, you know, they have a new defensive line coach. Chris Wilson is gone. It's a different band. is a guy in there now. I don't remember his name. So maybe the mold changes. But... From what they've been successful with on that Jim Schwartz defense, guys who can potentially play in the wide nine. Fur- Furl and Sweat can play in the wide nine. It's who does the wide nine benefit, and it benefits guys like Polite Allen Burns And so those are the names that you'll be watching for. Montez Sweat is not a guy who belongs in the top ten, especially in this edge class. He belongs to be picked somewhere between, I would say, like 25 and 40. Right. And that's where I expect him to go. Much more likely, see to, I think, to see Montez Sweat in Los Angeles, in New England, Oakland, or 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 new york if they the jets the giants if they eschew edge in round one could come back at the top of round two and grab him he might go earlier than that because the league values him too highly but then then he'd be overrated and that's the point of this segment anyway
1: yeah i'll hit you with an underrated guy actually a couple underrated guys let me hit you with three i'll, I'll, I'll triple it up before we get out of here Elton Jenkins, the center out of Mississippi State, and Garrett Bradbury, the center out of NC State. Both those guys, man, they have fantastic tape. I'm going to have a first-round grade on Bradbury. He's going to move very, very well at the Combine. I'm not Mm -hmm. comparing him to Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey flashes when you watch his tape.
2: Right. Here's what it comes down to. It's Bradbury is a potentially very limited player at the next level who really should only be successful in mostly zone concepts. Correct right like he like you know because you're worried about his functional power i won't have a first on him just because i'm grading for 32 teams and not one Mm. like if you if you're the rams bradbury is a first round pick because the only thing you run is outside zone like it's not even hesitation (laughs) but like compare him to jason kelsey well that's tricky if bradbury becomes successful in the league it's because he's been successful like jason kelsey is like that's what that comparison is you know what i mean
1: the refinement and the technique that he's going to eventually have to get to make up for the lack of anchor yeah
2: bradbury to me is, is more likely to come out and like you know be like a good starter who struggles with power or whatever but if he works out, like if he warrants what would have been a first round pick, it's because he's become Jason
1: Kelsey. Right. Exactly. Exactly, Uh, Elton Jenkins, man, just loved his tape. I don't see very many losses there. I mean, you watch the Alabama game and he gets got by Quinnen Williams. You watch any center or guard in college and they're going to get got by Quinnen Williams uh, at least a couple of times a game. So I'm willing to overlook that and look at the rest of the tape and say that this is a powerful dude that can move and should be selected in the day two area. I like a lot of these centers, dude. There's a lot of good centers in this class. Eric McCoy from Texas A&M. I just watched Lamont Gaylord, Gaylord. Is that it?
2: Lamont Galliard.
1: Galliard. Yeah, there you go.
2: You know how I feel with names that have a even slight <laughs> French tint to them. Yeah, so here's the thing about Lamont. Go ahead. I thought it was really good and that I have never watched him since. And I saw Brandon Thorne watching him and I was like, shoot, he is good. Yeah. <laughs> never went back to his tape.
1: As soon as you see Thorne watch somebody – because I had just watched him uh, I think like four or five days ago. And I was like, yeah, this dude's pretty solid. And I see Thorne. And yep. the cool thing about uh, uh, Brandon Thorne and you can follow him at Brandon Thorne NFL is he's going to point out he knows the offensive line technique so well that you'll watch. You'll see his videos on the timeline. And he'll point out things that you may have missed and make you go back to the film and go, oh, yeah, his offhand usage, you know, with the snap is really good and really quick. And he knows how to use it and leverage things and whatnot. So that's a guy to look for. Uh, last guy I'll talk about is Malik Gant, the safety out of Marshall. His tape is fun, 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 fun. I have an issue possibly with projecting him into a role that's not just like a – it's weird with him because he's going to have to learn how to limit some of that contact. But the contact that he seeks out, he's really physical. He's a great tackler. A lot of contact at the top of the routes that he is going to have to calm down because they play him in a lot of off-man catch. And I've said this before, that breakpoint there, when he's an off man, he's playing that catch technique, has more chip paint than NASCAR. So he's got to chill that out a little yeah. bit. But the tape is fun because they blitz their safeties so much and use them to fill so much and run support too, that you just got rep after rep of him just coming downhill like a man on fire. And striking and delivering too uh, with a very accurate hit rate as far as the tackling goes. So his is a fantastically fun tape. I was looking for guys like more in the day three area. He may sneak himself up into that day two conversation. But that's just mm-hmm. a guy that if you want to have fun watching tape, watch Malik Gant, safety out of Marshall.
2: Future Pro Bowl special teamer Malik Gant. Future Pro Bowl pun gunner Malik Gant.
1: You th- you think? Just,
2: just no no concern for human life. <laughs> like, hey, Malik, you see that player like 45 yards down the field waiting for the ball? Beat the ball to him. I dare you. All right, boss. I got you. <laughs> uh, my, my sleeper team for February is uh, it's just more underrated guys. Elijah Hollyfield out of Georgia. We talked about him on the podcast before. He's really good. Yep. Uh, wide receiver, Alamade Zacchaeus out of Virginia. Ooh. 5'8, 190. Say that name right. again? Philly dude. Alamade Zacchaeus.
1: Philly dude. Alamade right. Zacchaeus.
2: Yeah. So, so so okay. So his name is Alamade. Is o L A M mm-hmm. I D E. Right? But it's pronounced O. Llama Day, and his at on Twitter is Llama Day, like the word Llama and the word day, which I think is tremendous. That's <laughs> great. Now, Philly dude, he backed up DeAndre Swift in high school, the running back who's now in Georgia, who's, who's from the Philly area, yeah. right? And Zacchaeus was a running back. He goes to Virginia. He plays running back his first year. Virginia has a coaching change. Bronco Mendenhall comes in. He starts to get like wide receiver running back reps. He fully transitions to wide receiver, and now he's Virginia's leading Wide receiver, career reception record for the Junior Cavaliers. He came in as a running back. Came in as a running back. Career receptions leader. And he's 5'8", 190. Unbelievable body control and contact balance. When I watched him in 2017, I wrote down Alvin Kamara's name more than once. He's a wide receiver. He's not a running back. But when you talk about the small, compact frame and just stupid acceleration at ridiculous angles through contact, it's Alvin Kamara's, right? right? Non-invites to... Any all-star games, despite the fact that he was a senior, despite the fact that he's leading, whatever, so on and so forth. He's a Tariq Cohen player. Mm. Get him 12 touches. Let him return the football. Oh, man. I like and, and There's the potential that he goes undrafted. And if Philly is smart and uses that Philadelphia connection and brings him in, I guarantee you he will make waves in camp. Love him. Trevon Wesco tied down to West Virginia. Yeah. 275 pounds gigantic impossible to tackle good player uh do you
1: see that rep against kansas state where someone like busted their helmet trying to tackle him do you see that one
2: i don't know if i particularly remember it but i remember watching him uh which game was it there was the oklahoma game that went like 62 59 whatever the final score was where literally just no one on oklahoma except their one yoked up <laughs> linebacker could tackle him like they all just had to like wait until number nine got there yeah because they couldn't get him down without him oh it was hilarious <laughs> my o-line sleeper is nate davis who already talked about him
1: love him out of charlotte He's a tackle, yeah. but has three years starting experience at guard. We talked about him on the last show. I really, really like him. I sent him over to Trey uh, to to Trey Thomas. So I was like, "Yo, this guy's probably gonna be a guard." And I, and I know you wanted me to send you tackles, but like, watch this guy. Tell me you wouldn't want to work with him.
2: Yeah, uh, linebacker is Ryan Connolly out of Wisconsin, who's a smart player. Uh, who who is like a Camus Grugier-Hill type. I think he probably tests a little worse than Camus, but that's kind of the mold he can play. Isaiah Johnson, corner out of Houston, 6'3", wide receiver, convert, great in a vertical third, grade for the Seattle cover three type, which is not exactly what Philly runs. But if they want to start Sewell and Isaiah Johnson and let them play up with the line, boy, I would not be upset with that. <laughs> uh, and then Amani Hooker out of Iowa is my sleeper safety. Smart player, good player. We've really, talked about him on the podcast before. Yeah,
1: really, really smart player. I'm interested to see how he tests, but I have a definite role that I can project him into, so I like his game. I think he can contribute earlier than some of the guys that will be picked around him. Ben. That's going to do it for our part two of our overrated, underrated prospects in the NFL draft. We have the combine coming up quick, so we might have to talk about what players, what prospects are going to benefit most or have the most at risk. What we need to see from certain prospects as we enter into the NFL combine. Maybe make some bets like we did last year about maybe who runs the fastest 40, who bench presses the most and whatnot. But we'll get to all that throughout the week next week as we prep for that. In the meantime, say goodbye to the gentle gentle listeners
2: is there cool new outro music
1: yes there is along with the oh, okay. new bgn stamp on it at the end b
2: g oh i don't want to spoil it just wait till the end. You'll hear it. Uh, <laughs> thank you as always for listening to The Kiss and Soul Act Show here on BGN Radio. Make sure you hang out to listen to the cool outro music, which is probably starting to play right about now. If you like the podcast, please go ahead, uh, rate, review, and subscribe. I'm whenever happy you listen to your podcast, but especially iTunes, because that's what feeds our egos the most. I've been Benjamin Soul Like on Twitter <laughs> at Benjamin Soul That's S O L K. Michael Kiss on Twitter at Michael Kiss NFL. it's K I S T. Make sure you listen to episode 79 of The Kiss and Soul Act Show if you just caught episode 80 and it made no sense because you didn't see the first half of it. Next week, as Mike said, is the Combine, so I will be an indie. Mike, are you going to be an indie?
1: I will not be an indie. No, I will be staying home.
2: Ah, You illustrious coward. Well, <laughs> uh, I'll be able to give you some direct hot takes from watching players run on a different television screen than you do. Whoa! <laughs> um, but also be there for interviews and to be talking with players, which is also a ton of fun. So, thank you for listening. We will catch you guys later next week.
1: We all we got, we all we need. Fly Eagles Fly.
0: g